Last week, I don't know if you remember, last week we looked at how Paul, Paul and Barnabas are sent out. And right when they're sent out, that's when we jumped in last week. And they go to five different cities in three different regions. And at each place that they go, they kind of do a different thing. They, in one space, they proclaim, they're just right away going to the synagogues proclaiming the gospel. In another space, they, have, they, they run into Elemus and they deliver a sharp rebuke. And then they go to this third area, and it says that they go to the synagogue, and they sit in the synagogue, and they're waiting. They just kind of sit in, and they listen to the teaching at the synagogue, and eventually the synagogue leaders invite them to say something. And we, talk, and we talked about how there's, there's, there's not one way to do missionary life. There's not one, there's not one way to like uh, – one formula, one algorithm on how to choose where to go or how long to stay there or what to do when you get there. But it's all about listening to the Spirit, being in tune with what the Spirit of God is doing, being obedient to the Spirit of God in every space, in every time, among every people. And this passage starts right where that other one left off, where they, they're sitting there and they're sitting in that synagogue and waiting, and they invite them to speak. This is what they say. And this week I want to wrestle with how uh, it, it's, we don't just lean on the Spirit for where we go, how long we're there, what we do when we get there. But actually even the words we say to any person are actually a, a matter of, of the Spirit, a matter of being in tune with the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, knowing the Spirit. And inviting the Spirit of God to bring revelation to the person that's, that's receiving, the audience. There's not just one way, one formula to do it. I remember some time ago, uh, um, I was meeting, this was about a year and a half ago, I was meeting every two weeks with a guy, because of what I'm going to share, we'll say it's Jim. Um, he said I could share his story, but asked that I, I don't share his name. So I was meeting with a guy named Jim, he's not a believer and he was kind of open, curious, uh, was asking me some questions about stuff. I just said, hey, what if we get coffee every once in a while and just talk, get to know each other, and then we can ask, ask each other some questions. And, and so we were getting coffee, and, and we started looking at the life of Jesus a little bit. And he, again, he was, I was, we were just going a little bit, going a little bit, see, seeing how far he wanted to go, uh, uh, seeing if he wanted to keep taking the red pill and go down this trail with me. And uh, eventually, it, we got to this point where there was like I, I felt like there was a little bit of openness. There was a two or three times where I, I shared I shared the gospel in kind of general terms with him, and, and he he understood. He'd been around Christian circles enough to be like it wasn't super new information for him. And eventually, we got to this point, uh, maybe our fourth meeting, where I just said, "Hey, is there one thing that's like holding you back from saying yes to Jesus, or or?" Or one thing that you don't, certain, super don't believe, you think the resurrection's like totally bogus, or is it Christians? Like you think Christians are weird, you don't want to be identified with that crowd, or like the, what is there something that's holding you back from saying yes to Jesus, from trying to follow Jesus? And he admitted to me that he that he had for a long time has experienced same sex attraction, unwanted actually, same sex attraction. And that he knew enough, he knew enough about like a, um, a Christian worldview that if he were to say yes to Jesus, that he, that he would have to commit himself to a life of celibacy. He wouldn't be able to like pursue that desire uh, uh, in, in his own words. And it, it, he, he, so there was like this one barrier to him saying yes to Jesus. And, at the, and he exposed that to me. He was like, this is why I, I've never considered it in the past and why I'm still not considering it with you. And the way he ended that was so – the way he ended talking about that with me was so provocative. He said, 
He said, I'm just not sure how the gospel could possibly be good news for someone like me. How could the gospel, how is the gospel good news for me? Over Christmas break, my wife and I went back to, just for the holidays, we went back to Illinois in the town that we gave about 10 years of our lives to. And I w- we went to a Walmart like two or three days after Christmas. <clears throat> and because of going to a Walmart two or three days after Christmas, I stayed in the car. And, uh, and I was just in the parking lot. And pulled up next to us about two cars down was this really big green van that I didn't recognize. But I'm a people watcher. I stare, sometimes I stare at people. And I, I was just look, like looking in the driver's seat. And it was, our na- it was a neighbor, one of the closest neighbors we ever had in that town. His name's Kenny. And he, I saw him and I got out the car. He saw me. He got out of his car and we just like embraced. Like, dude, what's going on? How's it going? He, he started following Jesus while we were living in that house, in that neighborhood. And was like part of a different faith community. Had this big family. And um, I was like, and his kid at that time, his kids were like elementary school, middle school, and he was ta- talking to me about his kids, like his daughter's got a driver's license, and his son's playing football, and I was, it was just like crazy thinking about the, how big those kids were when we were there. And eventually, I was just like, you know, so what? Maybe like anything been hard in this season that we that you, we, we'd love to know about? We'd love to pray for you, whatever. And he said, his son, he he had a 17 year old son from New York. That, and, and two other kids that had moved in with them because their mother had died uh, uh, like a year ago. And so he had these other three kids, including a 17-year-old son, move in with them. And he was trying – and the 17-year-old son's not a believer, and he was like trying to do – you know, trying to like witness to a 17-year-old son, trying to like lead a 17-year-old son to the Lord. And then he, in the parking lot, he tells me, man, how – how am I supposed to communicate? How am I supposed to tell my 17-year-old son, who doesn't want to be here? He doesn't want to be in rural Illinois. He's from New York. He doesn't want to be living in poverty. And and his mom died a year ago. How I don't know how the gospel is good news for my 17-year-old son. I do not know how to communicate about this in a way that is good news that can be received as and known as good news. To my 17-year-old son. This morning I want to talk about how the gospel speaks uniquely good news. Uniquely good news. To every culture and every people and every person in every time. Which sparks immense joy. Or zealous rage. One or the other. This this sermon from Paul is extremely Christ-centered. It's, it's a Christocentric sermon that he's delivering in the middle of the synagogue. But it's limited in scope. I mean, he, he focuses on a lot of things, but he leaves quite a bit of what we would say are pretty important things that he leaves out. He, in this sermon, he does not mention the cross. He does not mention the kingdom. These feel like important things. Am I wrong? Am I out of left field here? He does, he does not mention the cross. He does not mention the kingdom. He does not mention the Holy Spirit. He does not mention heaven or the new age, the age to come. But he does focus on history, prophecy, fulfillment of that prophecy, bodily resurrection, forgiveness and freedom, both from sin. And that sin as understood by the law of Moses from the perspective and angle of the law of Moses. 
And I would say Paul's focus, what he, what he, what he, what he includes in this sermon, and what he leaves out of this, of this sermon to these people in this place, in this time, is intentional. It is contextual. Dare I say it is relevant. Ooh, dirty word. Dare I say it is relevant. I, I was very hesitant to use the word relevant today for five days straight now, but I'm still going to say it. Relevant. Uh, because I think it's a good word, and it's a meaningful word, and it's just got a little baggage with it, but we're going to use it today. Can we use it today? Is it okay? So when I say relevant, I don't mean uh, uh, wide-rimmed glasses and skinny jeans and you know tattoo on the welcome. We're trying to be you know like cool, hip with the times. I just mean contextual. I mean it considers audience. I mean it, it it's embedded in their story. It's meaningful to them. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm saying what Paul is delivering in this sermon is intentional contextual and relevant to the people he's delivering it to. These are Jews who would be very concerned with messianic prophecy, covenant promise and fulfillment, reconciliation, the law, and bodily resurrection, which was controversial in their community. If you say it this way, these would be the heart questions, the core questions of this audience, the heart questions. And Paul delivers a sermon, some good news. Paul delivers some good news that speak directly to those heart questions, those core questions. But when it's time to speak to the Gentiles, he delivers a much shorter sermon, a very short sermon actually. Uh, he, he turns to the Gentiles and he says, we, we now turn to the Gentiles, talking to the Jews, and the Gentiles are overhearing this. And he says, for the Lord has made us to be a light for the Gentiles to extend salvation to the ends of the earth. And the, the preaching changed. It, came, it, it went from what God promised our ancestors, so on and so on and so on, focusing on history and prophecy and resurrection, changes to we are a light to you. And God is actually extending, is doing a new thing, which includes you. God is now extending his, the, the clarity of his love and his promise and his faithfulness to you, to all the earth, actually. And he always actually intended us, our people, to be a light to you, to demonstrate his care and concern and faithfulness and promise to you. And somehow, the earlier sermon of history, prophecy, bodily resurrection was not quite enough for Gentiles to believe. But this shift, this simple shift... And focus was enough to see them glad and honor the word of the Lord and believe. This shift in proclamation answered Gentile heart questions. Can we ever be included in God's family? Does God have a plan for our people too? Does, does God love us? Does God see us? Does God know us? Is he concerned for us? This is underneath the surface, I would say, of almost all of Paul's preaching. That he never presents a purely abstract and transcendent version of the gospel. He doesn't, just, he doesn't stay at 3,000 levels and, and just deliver the same language, same version, same preaching, same sermon to every people he ever interacts with. He always delivers good news directly to heart questions, core questions, contextual questions. 
an amazing example of this. I, I remember this year at Underground Open when Lisa Sharon Harper shared about it both in her talk and in her book, which you must read, uh, a very good gospel, that her, about her great-great-great-grandmother Leah Ballard. Who was Leah, her great 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 grandmother Leah Ballard was a slave in South Carolina until the Civil War, and as a slave in South Carolina until the Civil War, had seventeen children. And Lee, and at, every time she shares that story, uh, uh, Lisa Sharon Harper concludes that story with this very provocative question. She asks, "Could I? Could I go up to her?" And could I knock on her door? And could I say, "Great great great grandmother Leah"? I have good news for you. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But you've been separated from God by your sin. But good news, Jesus has died to pay the penalty for your sin. So all you need to do is pray this little prayer at the back of this booklet and then you can go to heaven. Would that be good news, very good news, comprehensive good news for great-great-great-grandmother Leah Ballard? Is the gospel good news to these people, to your people? And when the answer is no, when you, you either feel or wonder like it's no, or they tell you, like Kenny and like Jim, they tell you, I don't know how the gospel is good news for me, how it possibly could be. I think it has nothing to do with the audience and everything to do with what we are communicating and how we are carrying it. That we might be missing the core heart questions. We might be delivering news that's just totally missing the core essence, the core questions, the heart questions that a person is asking. That the gospel actually speaks directly to. If we listened and learned and heard them and then asked the Spirit of God, show me how, how you come to bear on these core questions, these heart questions. A good way to consider if your proclamation, if your sharing of good news with the people in your life is actually speaking directly to heart questions or not, is considering the reaction to the good news that you share. You see, when Paul effectively preaches, faithfully preaches, meaningful good news directly to heart questions of the people in his face, there is immense joy, crazy joy, full of joy, and there's zealous anger. Crazy anger. Jealous anger. These are the reactions that happen when you scratch at core questions. Scratch at heart questions. One or the other. And there doesn't seem to be much room for apathy or indifference in the midst of it. An apathetic or an indifferent reaction to the gospel is, is often a clue, a hint, that the news you have delivered has somehow missed a core question, a heart question, that this person walks in, experiences. I mean, who all, who all here, I'm not going to say a whole lot, it's a little tricky, but who all here has participated in or volunteered at Jesus Encounter that we do? Yeah? Quite a bit. Quite a bit, yes? Now, Jesus Encounter, like, we don't talk a ton about Jesus Encounter because it, it is, a, it is a, an, an experience, a weekend experience with the love of God, and we don't want to ruin it for people. And so we, we don't say everything that happens at Jesus Encounter. So I'm, I'm certainly not going to right now. But 
those of you who have been through Jesus Encounter, those of you who have served at Jesus Encounter, there's something that happens at Jesus Encounter that I think speaks to this a little bit. There's like, there's like six, seven, eight sessions that run over the course of a couple of days where each session is kind of focusing on a, on a particular aspect or implication of the good news of Christ Jesus. It, it's like a comprehensive walkthrough of like the fullness of what God has done in Christ Jesus for you, for me, for us, for the, for the world. And, and something that happens, you tell me if you agree that this happens. Every, every Jesus encounter, you're kind of, the people who are participating or the people who are volunteering, you're not quite sure what session, which session is just going to crack people open. It's just going to like, like people are just going to be like, oh my gosh, this is good news. Or just, just like they're, they're, they're just broke open to the Spirit of God. People like people just like crying uncontrollably on the ground. You don't know. No, you do not know. Some of the sessions are like, are, is anybody even paying attention? I'm not sure. Did everybody fall asleep during that one? I'm not sure. And, and then the next session, it's just like, what is happening? Like the Spirit of God just falls on the room. Or sometimes... You're do, we're doing a session on, on, on some aspect, some implication of the gospel, and half the room is just like on the, in, rolling around in their own tears, and half the room's like, what's going on over there? Did I miss something? Did I hear, did, and then the next session, it flips, and the other, the, these people are like, what? This, the God is so big. God, is, God, is, God has met me in this moment, and the other side of the room's like, he's not over here. Can you bring him over here? What's happening? The reason that experience happens between sessions or between different, it's hard questions. Different people in the room are experiencing and walking with different core questions. I mean, like low grade beneath the surface of their whole existence are these like one or two questions that are just like, they're, 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 sometimes they don't even know how to verbalize and God just meets them. And the, the answer to that question, the, how the good news comes to bear on that question. But the people over here, they didn't have that question. Their question gets, gets messed with later in the afternoon. You know? This is, this is an example of, of contextual preaching. Contextual delivery. I won't say any more about Jesus' encounter. Except that you should go if you haven't. This is both the beauty and the caution behind any momentary, effective way to share the gospel. It is the beauty and the caution. The beauty is that someone discovered a meaningful way to, con to communicate the good news of the gospel to a particular people, to, in a particular place, in a particular time. And those people were caught up in the love of God, filled with the Spirit of God, re re you know, re rejuvenated, restored, justified. Get to go on and live in, in now and in all eternity in the implications of the kingdom of God. But uh, uh, the caution is to avoid institutionalizing any single method of proclaiming the gospel as the best and only way for all time. For every people. Listen, praise God. Praise God for the four spiritual laws. And the Romans road. And the bridge diagram. I've, I've drawn seven, eight of those with stick figures and the whole, the whole thing. And half the time it's helpful and half the time it's like, why did we do this? And the, the new, like, new world, the four worlds diagram that's like starting to come out now. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. It's just another like, great way to communicate about the holistic story of God, what he's doing in the world. Praise God for every way, every, ver every way that comes across that, that's a way to communicate about the story of the gospel. In an effective way to a particular people in a particular time. 
praise God for tracks that have worked in the past. The little million, well, we don't, we don't praise God for the million dollar thing that you give to waitresses as a tip. We do not praise God for that one. No, <laughs> you're like, no, we don't. No, we don't. If, the, if, if you work in the food industry, I, I worked in the food industry, not a, I'm telling you, not a single person has surrendered to the leadership of Jesus because of the million dollars that, that is left as a tip. Not one person has ever done that. That pushes people away from the kingdom of God, leaving the million dollars as a tip. It does not happen. But praise God for the bridge diagram, the, the Romans row, the four spiritual laws, but any of those things cannot be institutionalized as the way, the only way, the all-time way to proclaim the good news of the gospel to all people in all times and all places. That's the job, the role of the Spirit of the living God. And if we try to take one way to deliver the gospel and, and try to teach everybody to do it that exact way to every people, we step into a job that is not ours to take. And the, the best way in front of any person, in front of any space, is to, is to really be in tune with the Spirit of God and say, God, reveal to me the heart questions, the core questions of this person, and how your good news comes to bear on the story of this person in front of me, these people in front of me. And some of you may actually be more gifted in evangelism than you know, or than you have known, or than you think. Maybe because you just never felt the freedom or permission to deliver contextual good news to people's heart questions in this way. I would actually venture to say that because of this, to a degree, I don't like painting too, I don't, I don't, some, I don't like labels sometimes, but to a degree, because of this, introverts are incredibly skilled at evangelism, oftentimes. But extroverts are the ones who are always seen as evangelists. Those people over here, they, they're the ones that are crazy evangelists, or, or, or we look at extroverts as evangelists. But sometimes evangelists are, I'll speak for myself, I, I'm an extrovert. Sometimes extroverts are a mile wide and an inch deep. they got a thousand friends that they know barely a little. And they couldn't tell you the first thing about a core heart question of the people that they love to hang out with. But introverts a lot of times pick up on that stuff in a second. Because introverts sometimes, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but sometimes they, they're more skilled at going a mile deep and an inch wide. They've got two or three, four people that they're, they really spend, go really, really deep with. And they know that they know that they know what those core heart questions are. So any of you in the room who are introverts and you feel like the church has told you that you can't be an evangelist, uh-uh. No, no, no. You may actually be more skilled, actually, as an evangelist than others in the room. Just a few, just a few quick, you know, not a, not a manual, but a few things to think about in terms of growing and hearing, listening, looking for, and delivering good news to the people that you feel called to as leaders, as microchurches, as missionaries, as dreamers. Listen for and directly seek out the hard questions of the people that you are called to, that you serve. Do not assume that you know what good news is for the, for the group of people that you're called to. Sometimes if we assume that we know what good news is to the people that we're called to, and they don't respond to it, we can consign them as not open to the gospel. Because they didn't respond to it in, the, in a way that was meaningful for me when I did. This is exactly what happened with Kenny and with Jim. 
that they were uh, 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 in the initial stages. I just kind of thought, uh, you know, even with Kenny, I thought both of them weren't actually that open to the gospel. And I was like getting to the point where I was like, pivot, turn to the turn, turn from these Jews to the Gentiles, just turn to somebody else who's going to be open. But I actually was preaching a gospel that was not meant for them, a good news that did not come to bear on their story. The questions they were swimming in. The hard questions they were asking. And as soon as those things started coming out, oh, suddenly we can, uh, suddenly the openness breaks open. The, con- the, the way that good news comes to bear on them is totally different. What are the core questions that your people are asking? Are you hearing them? Are you looking for them? Are you taking note of them? Are they asking questions like, is there any reason for hope? Is there any explanation for suffering? My suffering, my family's suffering, my people's suffering, the suffering of the world. Am I powerless to my own past wounds? Am I only the sum of my worst moments in my life? Am I powerless to my present vices? Am I capable of change? Should I change or should I just be myself? But what if I hate myself? Is my future already decided for me? Do I have a reason for existing? Do I have a destiny? Will my people prosper? Will my family name continue? Will I leave a legacy? Will my family leave a legacy? Does God see me? Does God know me? Does God care about me? Is he there? What is the truth about who I am? Who I will be? Who we are? Who God is? These are just some core driving, swimming in questions. That people are walking with. Not just intellectually. People are experiencing these questions. Living within these questions. And if you haven't. Wondered about core questions. Wondered if the good news comes to bear. On those questions or not. It is okay. To start first. With your own. What were your heart questions. What are your heart questions. Why was and is still the gospel such powerfully good news to you? Why is the gospel comprehensive, powerful, good news to you? What is the questions that it it answers in you? I still remember this quote from the Kenyan Reverend Callisto Odede from Urbana 2012. Those of you who came back from Urbana this year, this was expositor at Urbana 2012 up in St. Louis. He, sh- he said, one should never export, one, sh- one should never export a message which they have deemed no longer worthy to import. Sometimes we struggle to see how the good news comes to bear on a person's story because we've no longer realized that it's good news for us. And so sometimes in the process of discerning, discovering, praying, reflecting on how the gospel comes to bear on some of these heart core questions, start with your own. How is the gospel good news for you? Worth it for you. Powerful for you. Sustaining for you. And when you hear those core questions, those heart questions, do you know how the gospel is good news to those questions? I think this is part of what what it means to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, Peter. But do this with gentleness and respect. It's not just to be able to always give an account for the hope that you have, the reason for the hope that you have, but to be able to do so to anyone who asks you. 
to be able to get to deliver the reason for the hope that you have to anyone who asks, everyone who asks. To be able to talk about how who Jesus is and what he did and what he is doing and what he will do, it's so big, it's so transcendent, it's so cosmic, and it's so good that it brings an answer to every question. There is not one question, one core question, one heart question, one driving question for which the gospel, the story of God, the narrative of God, who he is, does not come to bear with good news, great news, amazing news. Liberating news, freeing news. And finally, ask God for wisdom in discovering and delivering unique and powerful good news. I think 90% of the time I've said the words or I've heard someone say the words, the Holy Spirit just took over, just spoke through me. Words that weren't mine. I don't know where those came from. I think 90% of the time I've experienced that or said that or I've heard someone say that is in the context of sitting in front of a person who's asking questions or, or, or they're, they're, like, they're you know, like a pastoral moment or a crisis moment or a chaos moment and they deliver good news to that particular moment, that particular person, that particular time and they're left thinking, where did that come from? I've never thought about that once in my life. Lucas, it was so crazy that this per we were in this conversation, this thing came up. I was paralyzed. I didn't know what to say, and I just opened my mouth, and all this stuff just started coming out. I don't even know where. It was great. I was listening to myself, and I just thought, this is amazing what I'm saying right now. Most of the time where I hear people say that thing, like the Spirit of God gave me words. The Spirit of God was on my lips. A lot of times when that's happening is in that moment of delivering good news life-altering news to a person in a time and a space because what does the holy spirit do what did he come to do he came to lift up the name of jesus to bring glory to the name of jesus and to convict the world of truth and righteousness you put yourself in spaces to do that he's going to come through and so some of this is like yeah listen for the heart questions listen for the core questions try to try to try to reflect and think and and pray and and and, and wonder spirit of god how does your good news come on these but even if you get caught off guard he's still right there and it's never your words in the first place so you can be, you should think about, you, as a missionary, you should be learning, you should be trying to hear people's stories, you should be, be trying to hear how the gospel comes to bear on the lives of people in that space, especially if it's not your life, a similar experience that you had. But even if you're not prepared, he's still going to show up. He's still going to come through. And you, as long as you're open to him coming through, <laughs> saying, Spirit of the living God, deliver good news to every person. And every time, at every moment, God, come, God, come, speak to this person. Where I don't know, I don't know the answer. Ask God for wisdom in discovering and delivering that unique and powerful good news. Do your people need a word of justification? Do your people need a word of hope, eternal hope? Do they need a word of adoption and belonging and family? Do they need a word of rescue and liberation of freedom? Do they need a word of forgiveness of skin and the scorn of all shame? Do they need a, weir, a, a word of fear demolishing love, of value and worth and identity and honor and, 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 and the image of God? What are the core questions and how does the gospel come to bear on them? The gospel speaks uniquely good news 
to every culture and every people and every time because Jesus and his kingdom are comprehensively, transculturally, transnationally, and historically good news. Great news. Abundant news. News without limit. The worship team would come up. I do want to end with that, that final, that strange contradict, paradox response at the end. That last line that we talked about earlier this morning. That the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Joy and with the Holy Spirit. That the most powerful people in that, time, in that place that they were in turned against them. The most powerful people. People of common power. Not just one person, not just two people. A whole bunch of extremely powerful people turn against them. And powerful people can cause you a whole lot of problems. Powerful people can convince stores not to sell goods to you. They can shut off your access to basic needs. They can turn systems of power against you that decide for you how you live and your, the policies within which you live. They can decide for you your reality. They can raise your rent. They can shut off your utilities. They can remove some of your rights. These, this is what powerful people can do. I was thinking this week uh, about what if, what if. We've been really, really had a ton of favor. We've had an immense favor uh, with, with mall management and mall owners. We've had like great favor. They like us. We like them. And I was just thinking this week a little bit about what would happen if the mall just decided they hate us. <laughs> they don't want us anymore. The powerful people who 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 govern the contracts and the access to all of our basic facilities. If they just decided one day, they just woke up this morning and thought, we don't actually like these people. We would be in serious trouble. We'd be in serious trouble. We'd lose, we'd, we'd not be able to gather here anymore. We would lose all, all of our, anybody who, who benefits in any way, any microchurch or missionary who benefits in any way from that like co-work space who has meetings over there. The people who, who would actually make those decisions could actually make it impossible for us to get any other contracts in the city by spreading and stirring up, quote-unquote, maybe persecution or, 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 or paint reality of who we are around the circles of commercial real estate development. We could, and, and maybe we wouldn't even be able to rent anything to be able to meet together. We'd have to, we'd have to hang out at like Waterworks Park on, uh, if we ever wanted to see each other. Stand up in the... In the uh, 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 what is that thing? The, the, give me the word. Yes, the pavilion. Stand up in there. Do our thing. If powerful people turn against us, they could make this terrible. They could start to levy accusations against us, against our board, against our leaders. They could try to shut, they could cause all kinds of problems. And just imagine that, being in that moment. Would we all just have immense joy? This is awesome, guys. Isn't this awesome? We, we had that crucible that one time in the backyard of the Sanders house, like right by the river. We'd just be doing that every Sunday. This is awesome. This is amazing. I don't know if that would be my gut reaction. I was thinking this week about the, 
I was, uh, you know, I was talking to John Dangler earlier this week, and I was thinking more about the well, how the, the well had this, am- this amazing thing going down on Florida Avenue, if any of you remember. That was like a year and a half ago. They had this, they had this two-story house on Florida Avenue, and it, and it was just like comprehensive like care and community and, and services, everything for people who are like poor and homeless around the city. And it was just like, it was amazing going there. It was just like a wild, there's just so much going on and so much. It, it felt like, like there's just all, like every ethic of the kingdom was just like hanging out in there. Like it, it's just amazing when you went in there. And then the people in power in that area of the city, if you don't know this, I mean, Tampa Heights is, you know, not so friendly to these kinds of initiatives anymore. And people in power put pressure on the landlord who was who was leasing them that space. He tried to extend it as long as he could, like he liked having them there. And eventually, he just couldn't do it anymore. There was too much pressure, and he had to he had to remove the well from that facility. And they had to figure out how to do what's next. In the middle of that, when there's all this all this pressure and persecution to move their facility and do something totally different and crush what they're doing, are they all as a team just sitting there? This is awesome. I love this. This is great. God is with us. He's near. We get to, we, he's doing so much in and through us in the world. And in this moment, these people of power stirred up persecution, stirred up public pressure, stirred up all kinds of problems for these churches, and then pushed out, removed, forcibly made it so that these leaders could not exist in this city anymore made it so that their their best and potentially some of their only leaders, the ones who helped initiate, start this whole community, had to leave the city. In that moment, you lose your leaders. Maybe you can't even go to certain public places. you got to hide. This, guys, this is amazing what God is doing. This is awesome. Full of joy, full of the Holy Spirit. Where is there room for joy in these kinds of circumstances? I think it's because of this circumstance surpassing joy of knowing, receiving, and living in good news, really good news. Good news that simply cannot be withheld from the watching world. Good news that just keeps coming out of us, everybody around us. Because we found it to be so soul-quenching, utterly changing, redemptive good news. And to live in, to know that good news, to walk in that good news, and to deliver it faithfully to the world around us. In other words, I think this is the joy of serving God's purposes in our own generation. That David served God's purposes in his, and Moses served God's purposes in his, and Abraham served God's purposes in his, but the movement of God, what God is doing in the world, didn't stop with them, isn't contained by them. That the story of God is cosmic and historical, and there's chapters that go through history, and we stand in our chapter, in our moment, in the story of God, and he has passed his redemptive mantle to us, and to to carry it, and walk in it, and steward it faithfully, and to experience the joy that is to be written in the book of life, and to share it with the world around us, is circumstance surpassing joy. Unbelievable joy. 
And if they would have placated to the powerful, if they would have experienced the pressure and the persecution, if they wanted to hold on to their leaders, if they wanted to preserve their comfort, their safety, and their standing in society, if they wanted to have a better future for their kids, they, and they would, have, they would have operated out of all those concerns, they would have simultaneously cut off their access to divine joy and settle for something far less. And they would have relinquished the mantle of God's purposes to their generation. I want to be a community that is sustained by kingdom joy. Sustained by immense joy. Sustained by supernatural joy. As we walk in mission, sacrificial mission together. But sustained by that joy because we're all just actually floating in an ocean of good news. <laughs> an ocean of good news that you can't even search the depths of. You can't find the bottom of. There's things in there you don't even know where they're at, what they are. The good news is so deep and comprehensive and unsearchable. Being carried by it as a community. So as we come to the table this morning, we come this morning to remember the ways in which this comprehensive cosmic good news of Christ Jesus, what God has done in Christ for me, for you, for us, for the world, we come this morning to remember how that, that good news comes to bear on your story, on my story, on our story. That whatever you've been holding back from God because you don't know if He can actually handle it or answer it or if the good news will be big enough to address it, bring it to him this morning because he's big enough, he's good enough, he cares enough and the good news can handle it. Bring it this morning to the table with you. Hold nothing back. Come this morning to receive good news. And then as you go this week, uh, as we do in other weeks, there will be prayer ministry available on the sides. And if you want to come this morning for prayer ministry for anything, you can. But I would encourage you this morning to come this morning to prayer ministry and ask God for revelation on how to bring the gospel of good news to the people that you serve. For the Spirit of God to give you supernatural revelation to the core questions that the people are asking that you serve. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. And when you eat it, you eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, he said, this cup is a new cup in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. And when you drink it, you drink it in remembrance of me. So this morning, underground community, family, I invite you, as we do every week, to take of the sacraments, the body and blood of Jesus, to come and to remember the comprehensive good news of the gospel. Bring, withhold nothing, bring it all to bear and to remember him. When you're ready, the elements this morning.